welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to uh, uh, read a scripture and then we'll get into what it is that I believe the Lord has for us today. Uh, Let's pray first. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your will. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are with us today because where two or three are gathered together in your name, you are in our midst. So come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and minds, open our ears, open our eyes, that we can see the way you see, hear the way you hear, hear what you're saying today. Open our mouths so we can speak the same thing that you're speaking in agreement with heaven to say yes and amen once again. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you can look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It's a little bit of a story. Jesus had been ministering and, uh, for a while, and he was uh, needing to go up into a solitary place just to be alone with God so he could rejuvenate, refill. <clears throat> because when you give of the spirit, not of your spirit, but of the spirit out of you. You need him to fill you again. You pour out a cup of its contents, you need to fill it again before you can drink again, amen? And so that's why you see in the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, it says later on, and they were again all filled with the spirit because they were giving so much all the time. Jesus always went to a solitary place after he'd had a large day of ministry. If he needed to do that, if Jesus, because he was in the flesh now, in a body, not walking in the flesh, but he was in a fleshly body, he needed to rejuvenate, and he gave the example. And that's why the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw things happen. When he would go off to a solitary, solitary place, he would come back, fill with the Spirit, and minister like nobody ever ministered. They knew that's got to be the key. That's the difference between him and us. Teach us to pray. That's for free. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the shore or land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. How many of you have ever faced contrary wind? Mm-hmm. Now the question is, did you stay in the boat and whine 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I've stayed in the boat before. Not too often, but I have stayed in the boat before. I can relate all too well. It's scary. But then there's one, isn't there? Then there's one who will push that envelope. Who will say, you know what? I ain't doing it like this. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Reckon? Can you imagine being on that stormy sea? Don't know if it was, you know, how dark it was, if there was a moon out or anything. But I just know there was a big wind. And they say that the Sea of Galilee can turn on you in a heartbeat. All of a sudden, you are in a major storm. And all of a sudden, they see somebody walking among the waves. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. Fear not. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter responded and said to him, Okay, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. Come on now. If that's really you, then call me out there. There's a lot of reasons. We, I'm not going to get into it today. A lot of reasons I think that, or several reasons I think that Peter said that. Because the Bible says, My sheep know my voice. And he'd already heard him speak at one point, but now he was like, but I know this too. I'll recognize your voice. I'll know it's you. It'll confirm it one more time that I just heard your voice. But also, the safest place for me to be on this sea is with you. Because you ain't worried. <laughs> You're not the one freaking out in this boat. And Simon Peter was just as afraid as the rest of them in that sea. Now, let me tell you, for a fisherman who fished the Sea of Galilee every day of his life, to be afraid was a pretty bad storm. Bid me come, he said, and that's the King James Version. And Peter got out of the boat, and, and he said, come. Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water came toward Jesus. But then seeing the wind, he became frightened, and when he began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got back into the boat, the wind stopped. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are truly God's Son. When Simon Peter stepped out of that boat, I just really have no doubt that Jesus, even though he knows the beginning from the ending and the ending from the beginning, Peter walking on the water had been in his heart for thousands and thousands, millennia, who, who knows how long. 
all the events of the earth he already knew were going to happen but he had it in his heart all along and yet now it was manifesting for the first time in front of him I knew you were going to do it boy I knew you were going to ask me that I put it in your heart to ask me that because I'm looking for people who will walk on the water with me I'm looking for people who will ignore the waves. I'm looking for people who will ignore and not trust in their own ability to row or sail their own boat. I'm looking for people who will trust in me that the Holy Spirit is able to help them once they're out of their comfort zone to walk on something that does not seem possible. Because it isn't in the natural. A week ago Thursday, I had my birthday in the Lord, the day I was born again. Fifty years. Fifty years. Some of y'all hadn't quite made fifty years, period. Fifty years. Then I had my birthday last uh, Tuesday. Uh, my natural birthday and yeah 21 again <laughs> yeah and holding exactly I'm scratch I'm scratching it out girl <clears throat> don't drag me too hard there Jesus 50 years of knowing Jesus almost 50 years of ministry I've seen a lot done a lot pushed a lot, failed a lot. But I wrote a song one time. It says, I've known my share of failing, but I have never known defeat. Mm -hmm. I've known my share of failing. Believe me, I have, but I have never known defeat. Song goes on to say, in the sins of my youth, my less understanding youth, which could have been yesterday, from what I learned from yesterday. You see what I mean? I don't plan to repeat. <laughs> There's a Texas songwriter, Robert Earl King, that one of uh, his, his lines in one of his best known songs, I think describes ministry quite well. The road goes on forever and the party never ends. <laughs> I would also say that ministry is described very aptly from the first opening lines of the book Les Miserables. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It's the best of times because you get to serve your Lord in the way that he designed for you to serve him and others. It's the worst of time because you got to deal with people. Right? <laughs> yeah. For introverts like me, I mean, I, I, I didn't come into the kingdom expecting to be, quote, a minister. Not full-time, not part-time. 
I just knew that I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to tell them. And I'm, I want them to know what I know. I want them to experience what I've experienced. I want to tell people about him. I was never pushy. I haven't been pushy from the beginning. I'm not now. I'm not going to beat you over the head with my Bible. But I needed to tell people about Jesus because my life had changed. I was nowhere near perfect. My first year in Christ was terrible. <laughs> Terrible because I, I just couldn't let go of, of being drunk. And, and I'd already gotten off of hard drugs by the grace of God. But that in fighting, I just couldn't let go of. Because somebody would get on me and I'm telling you, it would be party on. And everywhere I went, there I was. I thought, okay, I'll go over to North Dallas and I'll date girls over there. I'll get with another crowd over there because they're all nice over there, see? Because they got money, you know, they're clean. And <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all, they're all that. And I knew a bunch of them. I worked at Neiman Marcus. I grew up in Neiman Marcus, my parents. But I lived, I was on the poor side of town, guys. I was not poor at this point when my mom married my stepdad suddenly we had some money but he decided to move us to southeast dallas so mom says all the time rocky how come you can't get along with anybody i said mom i can get along with everybody but you don't dress a boy in neiman mark clothes now set him down in the middle of southeast dallas and expect nobody to say something my first birthday party there i got a tube of toothpaste from the kids down the street and it blessed me. And then my dad pulls out my new bicycle and my heart just sank for them. I spent the next five years holding on to that bicycle, by the way. They tried to pull it out from under me many a time going down that road. You're an extrovert like, an introvert like me. You don't, you don't think that you're going to be that. You don't think that God's going to put you up in front of people. You don't think that he's going to, to make you, make you, by decision, mutual decision, of course, make you spend the rest of your life serving people, listening to people, carrying their burdens as well as yours. You don't think that way because you're an introvert and you've got your plan, right? I was going to play music. That's all I was going to do is just do music. I was in college for music, and all of a sudden, a few years later, I get called, and I'll talk about that in just a sec. I've had, as a minister, as a pastor minister, I've had to read books that I never would have read on my own because people in my congregation were reading those books. And I wanted to find out what they were reading, what they were believing. Listening to audios and watching videos of, of other preachers that I didn't necessarily agree with before I even listened to the audio because I'd heard some things already, read some things already. But I listened and, and watched because there were other people who were listening and watching. And I needed to help them to, to go through the fluff to get to the meat. You see what I'm saying? That wasn't what I chose for my life. And yet, when he called, I wept and gladly 
said yes. I've spent hours, countless hours over the last 50 years with people who didn't add one little thing to my life that I was aware of anyway. You hear what I'm saying? But my pastor told me something one time. He said, Rock, you may be able to live without them, but they may not be able to live without you. You hear it? That changed my life. Completely changed my life and ministry. And it also changed other people's lives. When you're in full-time ministry, you're never off the clock. Can I hear an amen? You're never off the clock. I'm not, it's not, this, none of this is a complaint. Don't hear anything in this as a complaint today. I'm just telling you the truth. You're never off the clock. <coughs> Justin, where's Justin? Oh, in there. Justin's a mechanic. Justin, there you are. Justin's a mechanic. It's what he does for his living. At the end of the day, Justin punches his time card and he goes home. And he's no longer a mechanic. Okay? Because he's not involved in doing mechanic work. So in that moment, he's no longer a mechanic. He's husband and, and father, etc., etc. But when you're in the ministry, how can you stop being a pastor? How can you stop being God's prophet? How can you stop being his evangelist, his pastor, his teacher, his apostle? You can't. You're on the clock. Amen. Brother Lou said amen. Now, most people in the church are not going to be in the fivefold ministry. They may have a pastoral heart. They may have an, uh, an evangelistic bent or a prophetic kind of bent or a teaching bent. But they're not necessarily in the office of the teacher, the office of the prophet, etc. They're prophetic, but they're not a prophet. Okay? Nevertheless, we are all called to serve and to minister to God and to each other. And those that are outside the fold, those that are not in the kingdom of God yet. And you don't know how they're supposed to come in. All we can do is listen to the Holy Spirit, see what he says, and move forward. Jesus went past the pool of Bethesda countless times, but he only stopped one time and said, you want to be whole? To one man. He went through the gate beautiful countless times to go up into the temple to worship, but he, only, he, but he never stopped at this one guy who was standing there at the gate for years and years and years. That was for Simon Peter and John to do. They were to hear the Holy Spirit. They were to say, I don't have any silver or gold, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he did. This isn't about saving the whole world, you alone. It's about hearing the Holy Spirit and moving forward in that and taking a chance to open your mouth and let Him fill it and see what comes out. Like my sister, before she was born again, my mother called her up and said, you got to do something with your brother. She's my older sister. She's like the mama. Sometimes she forgets she's just my sister. <laughs> uh, if she sees this, yes, I said it. 
from a distance. Anyway, so you got to do some with your brother. So what's going on? Well, he's this and he's that and he's doing this and he's not doing that and on and on and on. She comes over full of it now. She's going to whip me good. She comes into my room unannounced and uninvited. Boom, opens the door. I I was sitting at my desk watching TV. I looked around my shoulder. I said, thanks for knocking. And she said, listen to me. I know you think you're tough, but one of these days you're going to preach the gospel. She turned around and walked out the door. I'm still looking at the door going. She tells me years later when I got ordained, she said, I walked out of your room and put my back up against the door of the wall. And I said, I won't tell you exactly how she said it, but what was that? What did I just do? What did I just say? She came in to give me fits. I mean, she was going to correct me. <laughs> okay. Only the way that my only uh, that my own sister could only do. Instead, out of her mouth came, you're going to preach the gospel. It was so off that it, it threw her and she left the room and said nothing ever else. My mother had heard the Lord say that I was going to preach the gospel while I was in her womb. She remembered this, but that's not what she came to say this to me that day. She came to tell me, you better straighten up or else etc etc with lots of good words in there trust me <laughs> but she opened her mouth because she cared about me not because she's just angry she cared about me she knew something was wrong and she opened her mouth the Lord himself filled it and she wasn't even a born-again Christian She is now. Hallelujah. So most people aren't in the fivefold ministry. We're all called to minister. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 2, it says, Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Hmm. I quote this all the time. I tell myself, Rocky, you better stand up, hoss. You better shake yourself from the dust and arise. Because otherwise, the devil's going to have you for lunch this very morning. And the Lord puts the fight back in me when the wind's been knocked out of me. We're all called to serve. We're all called to serve the Lord himself, though. Hear this. Himself. Even when we serve others, we're serving others in him for him we're not called to serve some jumped up minister that wants to have a plan for your life to say come and join my congregation so I can work you half to death I'm not even being ugly about that it's just a fact of church life right but I'm telling you that's not the plan of God the plan of God is for you to serve him and in so doing, he may work you to death. You hear me? He may. But it'll feel great at the end of the day because you know you've done what you were supposed to do, what you were called to do. And it's like, it's like when you've had a good day of work. You know how good that feels sometimes? That's how you feel when you know you've done it by the Spirit. 
If we're going to find our, our placement, if you will, in this earth of serving the Lord, what that really looks like, what that feels like, what that, what uh, the content, what it is. Because we're all supposed to serve in general. Somebody has a problem and you're right there, see what you can do to help them. Somebody needs to know where the children's room is. Show them. That's just regular service. But there are specific callings in our lives. And if you would like to know what that is, you have to rise up out of the dust of your recliner. And shake off the status quo life that you have fallen into. The rut that you've fallen into because this is what I do every day. I get up, I go to work, I go home, I do this, I go to bed. I get up, I go to work, I go home, I do this, I go to bed. The rut. Now, I am not talking, see, I'm full-time ministry. I'm not I, it's not that I can't relate to the full-time people that work other jobs because I certainly can. I did that most of my life. So I get it. There's like a, there was a general in the Civil War, American Civil War, and, and he said, uh, uh, his, his officers were saying, sir, you've got to eat more. You've got to eat more food. You can't eat what the men eat. He said, oh, no, 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 I have to eat what the men eat. Why? He said, because then I know how far they can go. So I get it. The nine to five is calling. I get it that the responsibilities of family are calling. That's why we in this place don't pull and pull and pull and pull, trying to get you to do more and more and more and more. Because we get it. There's family life. There's other responsibilities in life. But we're all called to serve the Lord himself. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors, labors in vain. And unless he keeps watch over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. He also says that we cannot, uh, that it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need to find out what he wants us to do all the way up to the point that we know that we cannot do it in our own strength. If you have been called to do something for the kingdom of God and you can do all of it in your strength, you haven't gone deep enough. That's the truth. Now, there'll be some things you can do. I mean, you can pick up a phone and call somebody. But there's going to be some point of ministry that you simply cannot do in the calling that God has called you to accomplish. The person that he wants you to be and that you truly want to be yourself, but you just don't have any hope to getting there. Or you have very little. I have seen too many times to count. Lord, there's no way I can get this done. So I can't wait to see what you're about to do. Because <laughs> I can't get it done in my own strength. I can't get it done myself. That clock's wrong back there. I will be here till 3 o'clock if I don't have a good clock. So uh, what time do we finish? Is it? You don't know? Okay. <laughs> no, don't care. Sorry about that. I looked back there and I went, ooh, no, it ain't 537. Mm -mm. No, it's not 537. 
We belong to Christ now. Those of us who are in Christ, we belong to him. We actually belong to him. We're not just with him. We're not just in him. We actually belong to him as his personal possession. Did you understand that at all? We actually belong to him as his personal possession. He bought us. It's not about slavery. By any means, it's we are now adopted into his family. We are now a part of his actual body while we're still here in the earth and in heaven itself even now because right now we are seated with him in heavenly places. Right now. We can have a heavenly perspective about everything if we'll just ask for it. Every circumstance we face, good or bad, we can ask for a heavenly perspective. How do you see this today? From your lofty perch. And I am seated with you there. Open my eyes so that I can suddenly see all this before me. See my circumstances the way you see them. We've been bought with a price. The price was his own blood, his own death and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Because without the resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we perish. That's what the apostles said. We're not our own anymore. His blood was sufficient enough to reconcile us back to our Father. In spite of our sin, his blood was sufficient enough to redeem us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now we are called as his possession to be co-laborers with him while we yet remain in the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I like, uh, uh, I like my water cold and I like my coffee hot. I like my coffee at 183 degrees. I'm telling you. <laughs> McDonald got nothing on me. No, I do. I like my coffee hot and I like my water ice, ice, ice cold. When I go to Europe, I just have to get it out of my head because they don't even have ice in that country, I don't think, or that, that uh, continent. Yeah, special order. Can I have some ice, please? Mmm, American. Anyway, but they do have great ice cream. Anyway, uh, uh, I like my water cold. I like my coffee hot. And then I was reading in the Bible one day and found out Jesus is kind of the same way. Revelation 3.15 and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, straight out of the faucet and tepid, you hear me? neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you or spit you out of my mouth. That's not a threat. Yeah, some say vomit. It's not a threat. It's just a fact of life. I'm not trying to come down on anybody this morning because I fit right here. There are mornings I wake up and I go, ooh, I am so lukewarm today. I don't want to do anything but just sit here and veg. You hear me? 
Yeah. Many a day, countless days that I wake up just like that or go to bed like that. When I wake up in the morning, I want to be found lukewarm. I want to be either cold or hot for Jesus. I want to serve him hot in pursuit of him and in pursuit of his will, in pursuit of his kingdom, not just for me, but for other people. For other people. When you go through terrible times, and I've been through terrible times, when you go through terrible times, I want you to hear me. It's not just for you. It's for somebody else. It's for you to be able then to turn around and say, you know what, I've been there and done that. Listen to what the Lord did. And listen to what he can do for you. Would you choose the terrible times? No. None of us would. None of us would. Jesus didn't want the terrible times, guys. He said, Lord, if there is any way to get this salvation thing done another way, please do it. But he knew the Lord was telling him, his father was telling him, no, this is it. And he was like, then not my will, but you'll be done. My journey into all of this started, like I said, 50 years ago in a parking lot at uh, Mountain View Junior College. Studying music there so I could go on from there to go into North Texas State University because my academic training in high school hadn't been quite what it needed to be to get directly into the music department at North Texas State University. Oh, I could tell you stories about that. It was one of the reasons my mother sent for my sister. A young man witnessed to me. The Lord knew exactly what it took to get me there. And on Friday the 13th, 1972, he met me in a parking lot. And I told the Lord, I have not done well. I've been a terrible person. I'm not crying because I was a terrible person. I'm tearing up because of what he did next. I said, if you could do anything with this life, do it. And I have never looked back. And not one time, by the grace of God, have I ever doubted what happened that day. Not one time. Like I say, that's grace. Not one time. I always knew he changed me. It wasn't always manifesting when I manifested my old nature. But after about a year, things started turning around because I got sick of it. You hear me? Like I said before, everywhere I went, there I was. Go to North Dallas, be with all those kids, and then one of them get rude to a waitress. I say, do that again. I'll drag you out to the parking lot and beat you. And they would. 
because they didn't understand what a southeast Dallas beating looked like. And then I wasn't welcome in that area anymore. I moved out of town. Beat up one of the most prominent men's sons because he mouthed off at me. I wasn't welcome there anymore. And on it went. So one night I'm sitting on the balcony. Can't even play my guitar. I still have that same guitar. 50-year-old this past July. Sitting on the balcony, I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't know how to control this. And the Lord said to me, I'm back in Dallas. I knew what he meant. You're running. I was on my way to Colorado. I was getting out of Dodge. You hear what I'm saying? Because I was leaving a lot of trouble behind me. Some of it wasn't great. And uh, it, was, it was real trouble. But he said, I'm back in Dallas. And so I went back to Dallas. And I said, I don't know what it's going to take to get me through this, but I'm telling you what. I'm sick of me. I still love you. Have from the beginning. That first day in the parking lot. Whatever you want to do now. Just give me the strength to get it done. Because obviously, I can't do this. Next thing I know, it's all happening. If you can get it done in your own strength, it's probably not it. I went on from there, worked a regular job for years, and then one day the Lord called me into full-time ministry. And I had a choice when he was calling me into ministry. <laughs> a friend of mine said, well, now that you know you're supposed to be in full-time ministry, this is, this, is, uh, this is what I've got for you. He said, my son runs this operation over here for me and he's about to go to Houston to start a new branch I want you to take over that that branch it's already established you'll be a millionaire within two years and you can preach every weekend I said sounds like God to me so I said well let me pray about it so I started praying about it that same week, my sister called me, the one who still wasn't born again, but she called me and said, hey, Rock, we're starting this uh, uh, campground and, and lodge and Jeep rental and gas station up here in Uray, Colorado, and uh, I need somebody to help me open it. Uh, I can only pay you minimum wage, and you'd have to live in a pop-up camper. I said, well, I'll pray about that, sis. Yeah, exactly. I said, I'll pray about that, sis. And, of course... For the next six months, I was living in a pop-up camper, making minimum wage, seeking the Lord, and uh, seeing what he would do next, right? The clock's fixed. Hallelujah. Thank you. That way I don't have to keep doing this. Um, while I was up there, or before I went there, I had a dream one night. In the dream, I was in the dream. I was on a platform, but a lower platform, about yay tall, with a railing on either side, with praying benches there. The carpet was red. That was that was the dream. I have very graphic dreams when they're from God. And one by one, there was a room full of kids, and one by one, those teenagers—it looked like they were all teenagers—walked up to the altar. I laid my hands on them. They were filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues. 
I go to Uray. My first week there, I drove into town. I said, now, Lord, where do you want me to go to church this Sunday? And I saw this one building. So I didn't know anything about it, but I just went. And, and while I'm sitting there during the message, the pastor says, it stops. Now, I, had, I look like Keith Green, sort of. I had, I had a big beard and a big fro, right? And just looking like a 70s Rocky Mountain high hippie or whatever you want to call it. But sitting there on the back row, and he stops his message and just looks at me. And he says, I believe that the Lord has sent you to help us. Me, looking like that, out of all those nice people, you know, clean cut and everything. So after church service, he said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So he took me on a tour of the building, and we were talking. We went down into the basement, and he opened up the youth department door and flipped on the light, and I broke into a, a whirling dervish. I mean, I was spinning around dancing and shouting. He's standing there grinning at me, <laughs> and he says, I take it that this means something to you? said, you're mighty right, Pastor. I had a dream about this. Did you? I said, yep, right here. Make a long story short, I was now the youth pastor with one youth, and that was his son, and he didn't want to be there. <laughs> Don't even think he was Christian. Uh, I mean, we're pretty positive that he wasn't at that time uh, for several reasons. But uh, uh, by the end of the summer, we had 25 teenagers born again, fresh born again in that town. And one evening, after we taught the foundations of the gospel, the foundations of the church, the foundations of faith, I said, tonight, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, come forward. All 25 came forward, filled with the Spirit, just like the dream. None of that was planned, and it didn't even hit me until after the service was over with, and I went... You know, he kind of he kind of darkens our minds on those things sometimes just to say, now, I don't want you to do this because it was in your dream. Just be real. Just get it done and watch what happens. And then he showed me. While I was up there, you, some of you have heard, most of you maybe have heard me tell this story, but I'll tell it real quick. I was at the campground. I was having a, a busy day. I was behind, and I'm walking by the utility, uh, um, uh, the washer and dryer area and uh, the laundry area, and there was a young man sitting up on the dryers, reading a book. He was obviously someone who was uh, packing through, because I saw his pack. But he's washing clothes. So he's sitting up on the dryer, and I walked by, and I saw him. And in my, my, my Christ-like tone, I said, excuse me, could you not sit on the dryer, please? Okay. Now, actually what I said was... <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and be totally honest. I said, hey, you're reading a book, so I know you can read. The sign over your head says, don't sit on the dryers. Please don't sit on the dryers. He's, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And he jumps off, and that was that. I'm walking away. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit says, go back and tell him about me. And I'm like, I'm too busy. I've got a lot of business to take care of this morning. I'm getting closer to my little log cabin office. Go back and tell him about me. So finally, I get into the office. The third time he's telling me, I get into the office and I said, but Lord, I just told him to get his butt off the dryers. Well, how am I going to go back there and tell him about the love of Jesus? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You drive down the highway. Now, how, 
How are you going to pull over in the church parking lot when they're getting out of the car? Uh, they're visitors at the church now. You see what I'm saying? Uh, for real. They're, they're, you don't know who it is that's out there on the road. Just bless them, folk. Bless them with revelation. To be better drivers, that everybody would be safe from their sorry driving, you know. Just bless them. What's it going to cost you? Anyway, so I turned around, and I mean just went back to the laundry room. I propped myself up in the doorway, and I said, uh, hey, man, um, listen, sorry about that a while ago. I've had a busy morning. There's no excuse for it, but I was rude, and I apologized. He said, no, no, it's my fault. I said, no, 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 it's for real. I'm, I'm apologizing. I said, uh, but let's get started on another foot, shall we? He said, okay. I said, where are you from? He said, Pennsylvania. And so I asked him about how things were, what's he doing down here, et cetera. And then he says, hey, <clears throat> do you know anything about the Bible? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I said, I, a little bit. And I was being honest about that. I was, you know, I was five years into the Lord at that point. And uh, so I'd studied, you know, my brain out. But at the same time, I'm still studying my brain out, and I still don't get it all. You know what I'm saying? You have to grow and walk with the Lord for years to be able to understand more and more about him and grow in your knowledge of him and relationship to him. But I said, no, a little bit. And he said, well, can you explain this book to me? And it was, about, it was a book on the end times. So I said, well, let's look in the Revelation. I pulled out my pocket New Testament. We began to go through this on my busy day. Right? Now I'm really going to be behind time, right? Let me just fast forward on this. I got everything done that day. Everything. And you know what the Lord showed me? He said, this is like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was going up here to where the Lord told him to go. The Ethiopian was going here where he wasn't supposed to go. But the Holy Spirit said, join yourself to this chariot. So he joined himself to the chariot. <clears throat> they discussed. He was reading the Bible. And they discussed this. And then the, the Ethiopian says, well, what hinders me from being baptized in water right here? Because this oasis is here. He said, okay, let's do it. They ba he, uh, Philip baptized him in water. And when he came up out of the water, Philip was no more. He was up in the town where he was supposed to have gone. He got there faster, more than likely, than he would have if he walked all the way in the right direction. Anyway, so this kid, I say a kid, he was about a year younger than me maybe, but he's a kid now. Anyway, he comes to Jesus. Right there in the laundry room, right the same room where I rebuked him just not even 30 minutes prior. He comes to Jesus. He says, well, what's next? I said, well, you need to be baptized in water. Well, let's do it. I call up a friend of mine. Now I'm leaving work. I tell my sister, I got to go do this real quick. She said, okay. Call a friend. He had a pond on his property. We froze to death in that water, but it was really well worth it. We baptized him. He said, now what? I said, well, you need to be filled with the Spirit. He was. Then he says, can I stay here the rest of this summer and just be with you guys and learn about Jesus? Sure you can. He was in the youth department, but he was like a helper in the youth department now. He goes back to college that year. We kept in touch. He goes back to college that year. And, but just as he was going to sign up for another semester, he changed his mind, and he knew he was supposed to go to Bible college. So he goes to Bible college after that, and now he's a missionary in Central America. <clears throat> that's, 
That isn't anything on me at all. This is God. You hear me? That's God. That's doing something that is beyond you. That's doing something that, that you can't accomplish in your own strength. I could not have accomplished witnessing to him and getting him into the kingdom with my own words. You can't talk anybody into the kingdom of God. We like to think we can because we're eloquent. We know how to speak well. We know the ins and outs of the word and we can tear apart their discourse. See, I was the captain of the debate team. I know how to tear somebody up with my words. I know how to look at all of the gaps in their belief system. And I start picking at those weak spots. Or I did. I don't do that anymore. But that's the way I was. But then I heard another preacher say, never tear down a man's house unless you are willing to take the time to build him a better one. Again, Another philosophy that changed my life. And so the debater was gone. I never argued about the word, ever. And still don't. After that, well, before that, let me tell this story. Before that, I went to Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, not in Beverly Hills. It was a Baptist church, but it was a charismatic Baptist church. It was the Jesus movement. The spirit was moving real strongly there. And, uh, uh, and it was a great foundation. I couldn't have gotten a better foundation in the Lord than I did in that church. And one day they invited a missionary to come and speak to us. He was from Jinja, Uganda. A Baptist missionary. And uh, he talked about his work there, and he talked about others who are working there. He told about their stories. He told his stories. This was during the 70s, during the reign of Idi Amin in Uganda. And if you know anything about history for Uganda, that was a, uh, a truly terrible time, all the way up through the 80s, through Obote, the president that took over after him. They both killed, multiplied millions of their own countrymen. And Idi Amin was, uh, was a notorious cannibal as well. It was a terrible day during those days. And to this time, this man had been called to serve in Uganda. And he told stories of angels and deliverance and salvations, healings, all manner of things. And he was a Baptist. Baptists don't generally believe those things. I knew that, but he was. Why? When you get into the mission, truly into the mission, not just in a foreign field, but especially when you're away from family and friends and support systems, when you get truly into the mission, you will see that you can't do this. There is no way you can do this in your own strength. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. He has to supply the power. He has to supply the resource for us to be able to accomplish what he has called us to do. He was telling all these stories, and I was absolutely loving them. I'm sitting there listening, and I said, I want to be like that. I was 24 years old. I want to be like that. I want to believe like that. I want to be bold like that. 
I want to love like that. I want to get out on the edge like that. I want to walk on water just like that. But I said, but Lord, I need to hear you say come. And he did. And I knew it was him because the very concrete beneath my feet, I could feel it. Yeah, everybody says, I can feel it my toes. I felt it below my toes. I felt it rush all the way up through me and the atmosphere around me changed. And I practically ran to the altar. I said, Lord, I said it to you on the day I was born again. I'm saying it to you again. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will do anything you want me to do. You just say when and I'll go. And I've been to 40 countries since that time preaching the gospel in most of them. I've ministered to people beyond my own strength because of his grace and by his spirit. I've seen him do miraculous things, truly miraculous things. I was praying for a man one time. This is a story y'all never heard. I got a lot of stories y'all never heard, but I just don't always remember that you, who, who I'm talking to or what I've told you already, but I know I haven't told this. I'm preaching in Uganda, as a matter of fact. I'm standing up there at the front, and a minister comes over to me, one of the guys up on the platform, and he said, I believe you're supposed to pray for the, for the sick today. I said, really? Let me pray about that. So I prayed about it. We gave an altar call for those who were sick. Now, in Africa, everybody's sick. So the place just lined up. All of them lined up. And I was laying hands on people. Now, most of them were internally sick. You couldn't, you couldn't see anything. You just believed that they were going to get healed. But there was this one young man that stepped up. And as he walked up in front of me, I said, what do you need, son? Because he was, he was young. I was in my 30s at the time, and he was just a kid. I said, what do you need, son? He said, I need to be healed. I said, but is there anything you need me to pray about specifically? And he said, yes. And he took his T-shirt and pulled it off. Now, he was as black as the ace of spades, but his upper body was pink because he had some kind of a really bad flesh-eating kind of rash. And I went, whoa, <laughs> it really was like nauseatingly bad. And you, the gasp in the whole room, everybody heard it. And this is what the Lord tells me to do. Lay your hands on him. For those few seconds, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, but I said, I'll close my eyes. <laughs> I just had it in my head. I'll close my eyes. And I put my hand up on his skin, and I just stood there for a minute praying in tongues. And then I said, be healed in Jesus' name. That's all I said. And I heard the gasp in the room again, and when I opened my eyes, his skin was as black as his face. I didn't get to see it happen because I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand to look at it. But everybody else saw it. They said, changed. Just like that. You can't do that. 
You can't do that on your own, guys. God, he does, he can, he did. I said, I want to walk on water like that, Lord. I want to hear you like that. I want to serve you like that. I want to live on the edge like that. I want to walk on water. I want to see the other 11 come out because of my example. Come out of the boat. Because there's more out here than you're finding in your boat. Come out here because this is where the safety is. Even though there's waves and I look at them and I begin to sink. He pulls me back up, quote, immediately. All he ever asks is, why did you doubt this time? That's not a condemning question. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. Why did you doubt? He always asks me, why did you doubt this time? Because he wants me to understand why I doubt it. So that I don't do it again. And doubt is always present, guys. It's the unbelief that comes out of doubt unchecked that's the real problem. Doubt is always around us. Well, is that really God? That's not unbelief. That's you asking. If you ask, you will receive the answer. I'm telling you, God will put some crazy things in your heart and mind. Some crazy things. Do this. Really? How can that be God? I want you to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union. I said, I'm not Brother Andrew. If you know who Brother Andrew was, he just passed away. He smuggled Bibles. I mean, the man was a nutcase, okay? After a while, he would just put Bibles in boxes and sit them all in the seats like they were passengers, you know? And, and the Lord just blinded their eyes all the time. And I'm like, are you sure that's not pushing that envelope a little too far, man? I mean, you testing God? I mean, that, that, that just seemed like way, way over the top to me. And then here I am. I want you to take these Bibles in the Soviet Union. And I had to really pray and break down myself to say, Lord, you're going to have to do this in me. I fell to the ground crying like a baby. When I got back up, I took 98 Bibles and I said to my team, we're taking them in. He told us what bag to put them in, where, what to do. We, asked, we prayed about every detail of this. Where do you want us to put them, Lord? Put them in the sleeping bag. Roll them all up in the sleeping bag. The sleeping bag was like this uh, metallic lime green. You could spot it three miles away. But we did what we were told to do. We, and then he said, don't take it out until I tell you to. We put it behind the seat in the VW van we had. And when the guard came, the, the officer of the, of the uh, patrol there in Hungary, he came out and he said, okay, stop, 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 everybody. Unload everything out of the van. And I'm like, because oh. we were just about to go through. But he stopped us. So everything out of the van. So uh, we said, uh, okay, uh, but sir, there's three weeks of camping equipment in there. Is it really that necessary? And he said, everything comes out of that van. Yes, sir. So we started pulling everything out. And I'm asking my team, do you hear God say we're supposed to pull out that sleeping bag? Nope. Do you hear God say to pull? Nope. Did? Nope. Okay. It stays. So it stayed. He comes back around. He said, is everything out of the van? I said, sir, everything that needs to be out of that van is out of that van. 
He said, good, because if there's one scrap of piece of paper that doesn't, isn't out of that van, you will stay here with me. Do you understand? I said, I'm afraid I do. <laughs> and he began himself, began to check that van. The very last thing he did was go to the side door, and there sat that sleeping bag. That sleeping bag was right here on about this high. He got down like this and looked behind that seat for about the longest five seconds ever. He stood up and said, okay, it's clean. You're free to go. We started throwing everything. <laughs> Don't complain about it being in your lap. We're getting out of here. Off we drove. We got to some place where we could pull over and rearrange everything. That wasn't the first time. That was the first time that happened. It wasn't the last time it happened. While we were there, we blew out a tire. In the U we were in the Ukraine. Blew out a tire on the way from Odessa down to the checkpoint to get out into Romania, and uh, we didn't know it. We didn't know it. We just heard a big boom. We get out of the car. We're looking. We can't see anything wrong. But something hit the, the undercarriage of the, of, the, of the van. We drove for three hours to the checkpoint. Well, one of the guys that was with me, he stayed with the van while they took it apart to check for everything, that, like if we were smuggling people or whatever. <clears throat> and when the mechanic got down below, he came back up and called Volodya, our, our guy, to come down into the well with him to see something. And then he stood, well, first of all, he called other guys down, his fellow soldiers. And then they called Volodya and they said, explain this. The inside of the tire was completely gone. Completely gone. There was no tube in it. They didn't have tubes for these tires. No tube in it. Just the inside, it was like somebody just took a knife and cut straight out all that rubber. And it was around, just torn to shreds, but it was around the axle. They said, how have you driven with this? Why is it still sitting up? What kind of tire is this that you Americans have? <laughs> I mean, they were blown away. And so was Wally. We call him Wally for short. Belogia was, he was like, <gasps> um, well, and then he began to preach Jesus. All of us arrested at this point. There's another story behind all of that. I'll tell you that another time. But we were all arrested, all eight of us arrested by the KGB, the Border Patrol, and the, and the police. But he's preaching Jesus to them. I'm inside under arrest, under guard, and I'm preaching Jesus in there to them. The rest of the team were sitting out in the waiting room, <laughs> holding room, and his people were coming in, <clears throat> giving them water, because they weren't under arrest, uh, truly. Um, just under the threat of arrest if it all went bad. But um, every time they would come out, they would ask them questions in their broken English, and they would speak to them about the Lord. And then we were released at midnight that night. Couldn't have done that on our own. Had to be the Holy Spirit. But what a wonderful thing it was to see him showing himself mighty. 
I'm going to shut up in just a minute. But I know there's one more I got to tell you. short one there there was a dome I was pastoring in Kingwood Texas uh, just outside of Houston north of Houston there was a dome out there it was empty and the Lord had my interest in it uh, it was too big for us we couldn't fill it uh, we only had a hundred people at that point brand new church plant and this seated right at uh, a thousand people and the Lord said go and believe me for that so I did, and then I went to the people who owned it, and I said, I'd like to rent this from you. And they said, it's not for rent. We're not doing anything with that building. And I said, well, I, it's a Christian organization. I said, I, I really believe the Lord has said that to me. Well, we don't think he has because we're not doing anything with the building. I said, okay. I went back to the building, and I laid my hand on it. I said, Lord, is this our building? It's your building. I go back to them another time, another week, and I told them the same thing. They denied us three different times. We're not doing anything with that. The third time, I said, okay. Something's holding up, so I prayed about that, found out what it was, went over to the building, laid my hands on it with a big chain, it has a big chain and big padlock, I mean big, on the doors. And I said, this will be unlocked, and we will be in this building before the end of the year in Jesus' name. One day out of nowhere, and I wasn't to pursue them anymore. One day out of nowhere, he calls me up and said, you still interested in that building? I said, I am. He said, well... We can put you in there before the end of the year, so. And we were. Now that's just a little story. A little bitty story of hearing God standing for what he said and watching him work. Another uh, friend of mine now, uh, John Doro, he was, in, uh, he was a missionary in Germany. Had a little house church. And... Uh, we got to know each other quite well. And then my last night there, he asked me to come preach in his congregation, so I did. And he was going to take me to the train station that night. And while I was there, I went into the sanctuary. It was a Lutheran church. They were meeting in the fellowship hall. I went into the Lutheran uh, church's uh, sanctuary, and the Holy Spirit says to me, they will be in here before this time next year. I said, okay. So I preached that night, then I told them the word of the Lord. On the way to the train, John says, Rock, that'll never happen. I said, why? And he said, because they, the Lutherans have a, a thing. They don't let people who are not Lutheran meet in their sanctuary. I said, okay. The Lord's still going to do it. Be sure you write me a letter when he does it. Because I heard God. I knew I heard God. And he went, okay. Nine months later, he writes me a letter. I said, guess what? We were about, we had grown so much, we were about to leave. And they said, no, we don't want you to leave. We don't want you to leave. We, uh, we'll let you meet in the sanctuary, but we have to get it done with the blah, blah, blah. They go to the big dogs. They got it done, and before the end of the year, they were in that sanctuary. Again, little story. It's just hearing God, seeking God, first of all, hearing him, and then being obedient to what he said, opening up your mouth and saying, Thus saith the Lord. I went to a friend of mine who was a big dog minister, and I'd known him for right at 20 years at this point. <clears throat> he's about to leave his church and go into uh, evangelistic type of ministry. And I knew that was wrong. 
It was a wrong thing for him to do. I could feel it. He had already promised the Lord that he wouldn't do that. Now he's breaking that promise. That's, that's one thing why I knew it was wrong. But I, I went to him after I got the word of the Lord. I went to him and I said, uh, listen to me. I'm here for you. I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm not here to do anything. I'm here for you. And because the Lord said for me to come and tell you what he said. If you do this, you will fail. He said, I'm not going to fail. I said, he said, because I believe God's in this. And I said, I know you do. But he's not in it. And the main thing is, is if you take this man to be your financial advisor, he's going to hurt you. He would never hurt me. So just because he's your golfing buddy, my friend, doesn't mean that he's never going to hurt you. He may not intentionally hurt you, but he will hurt you. I don't know how he's going to hurt you, but the Holy Spirit told me, this man will hurt you if you take him with you. Finally, he said, I've heard enough. I don't want to hear any more. I said, okay. One year later, year and a half later, he's on big dog news because there's been a scandal in the finances. He didn't know anything about it. Knew nothing about it because he never cared to know anything about the finances. It was his weak point of ministry. He just trusted people. And this guy took just 50 grams plenty that was supposed to go to a Polish ministry for missions to do some good over there. <clears throat> this guy took it and put it into an account that would make money out of it, thinking that, well, we'll get to Poland soon enough. That's not how it works. See, he knew nothing about ministry finances. He knew banking. Man's ministry is virtually dead now. One of the greatest preachers I ever heard in my life. What a shame. Now again, it's a little story for me. He called me later on and said, you were right. And I said, I didn't want to be right. I did not want to be right. Broke my heart. But it's hearing God and delivering the word of the Lord. It's just a little story. That's, it's, that's, that's not a miracle. Hearing God is not a miracle. Speaking the word of the Lord is not a miracle. It's just being obedient. And then watch God do what he's going to do. But if I hadn't spoken, the Bible says that his blood would be on my hands. I can't have that. All right, those were, those were two little ones for free. I'm going to tell you one last one. I was supposed to go to uh, the prayer ranch. How many of you have heard me talk about the nuns at the prayer ranch? Good. Just a few. So these nuns were just miraculous human beings on the earth. They prayed eight hours a day at least. They heard God very distinctly. And I knew that the Lord had said, you're supposed to go up there and be with them this coming week or this uh, weekend, two weeks from now. But back then, no cell phones, no Google. I didn't know where they were. Uh, I just knew all the stories about them or so many other stories about them. And I knew that myself and, and uh, three other people were supposed to go up there for that weekend. 
Never could find out where they were. I just knew they were outside of Amarillo someplace. So, comes around time to go, and they said, well, what are we going to do? We don't know where we're going. And I said, well, I don't know where I'm going, but like Tom Selleck said, no sense in being late. So, off we go. I said, because we've got a tank full of gas and a word from God. That's all we need. Amen. Amen? And so, we headed to Amarillo from Dallas. We got up there, pulled into a gas station. The sun is setting off in the west. It really felt like it was setting because we didn't know where we were going. And I asked the gas station attendant, do you, do you know of a, a, a ranch around here that's, that's uh, around prayer and, and nuns run it? And he's just staring at me. <clears throat> he said, no, man, I don't know anything about that. I said, do you have any idea where there might be a ranch like that? He said, look around you, son. Ain't nothing but ranches around here. I said, yeah, that's true. Okay. I get back in the car. They said, was he any help? No. We get back on the highway. What are we, where are we going to go? And I said, let's just go toward the setting sun. How about that? Let's just do that. So we just started driving and praying. All of a sudden, I see a sign over the side of the road that says Boys Ranch. That's where my brother went to high school because he liked uh, other people's cars. So, <laughs> he, uh, so he winds up at Boys Ranch for uh, three or four years and uh, before he went to uh, the Navy and became a really good man. Anyway, I see it and I said, hey, guys, since we don't know where we're going and nobody's expecting us, okay, can I pull in here real quick and just see the, stand at the gate and just see the place because that's where my brother went, blah, blah, blah. He said, sure, why not? We got no place else to go. So we pull in. I see it and I say, okay, that's good. I said, now let's, uh, let's pray. So we're all leaning up against the car. We're down in this ravine, you know how in the country you got these deep uh, cutouts, you know, and ditches on either side, all that. And so the hill was way up like that. So we're standing outside of the car just praying, and I'm looking up saying, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I look over at this gate up there at the top, and here is a little sign about yay big, and it says prayer ranch. And I went, no way. So we drove around up there, and there it says prayer ranch, and I'm like, how many can there be? And even if this isn't the one, maybe they know where the other one is. We got to do this. So, well, how are we going to get in there? The, the gate, the, the real entrance might be a mile around. We don't even know where it is. And I said, fear not, young people. And I went to the trunk and got out some tools. And I came back and did a southeast Dallas key. And we drove in. I went back and locked it back up and drove on to the property. Don't tell nobody I can still do that, all right? <laughs> <coughs> Except nowadays, locks are so much different than they used to be, even cars are, because I could break into any car in the day. Anyway, uh, isn't that a great testimony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we drive in, we pull around to the front of the first house. There was these uh, Quonson huts, like military huts, you know? And then there was a, a, a mobile, uh, uh, you know, uh, home there. So we pull up in front of that. And uh, we knock on the door, and a nun comes to the door. Thank you, Jesus, at least we're with nuns, okay? And they'll know if it's not them. And it was them. She opens the door, and her, sister, uh, her name was Sister uh, John Paul. That was the name she took. She immediately lit up as soon as she saw us, and she said, Oh, you're here. Everybody's down in the first Quonson hut waiting for you. Just go on down. And I'm like, Okay. I said, my name's Rocky, and she said, yes, they're just right down there. 
said, okay. I told the guys, I said, uh, just leave it here, leave the car here. I'm going to try to make my way to the netherworld down here. Bring your guitar. There was me and another guy that played the guitar and then, then uh, two that just sang. So we go down the path I did. I went down the path and I went around to the front of the Quonson hut and here's this little gal, this little nun sitting on the front row and they're all in there with the, like, like ladies with their purses in their laps. You know, they were just sitting there with their hands in their laps just praying. She sees me. She jumps up, runs over to the door, opens it up and said, oh, it's so good you're here. Please come in. Do you need just, do any of you need to sit? We have, uh, uh, we have four chairs ready for you. Four chairs. How? Nobody knew we were coming. She did, there wasn't a phone in that Quonson hut. They didn't know that anybody had even arrived. We sat down. We began to worship. They said, please lead us in worship. We began to lead in worship. And then the door opens up later on, and it was like Jesus walked into the room, and I'm not exaggerating. And it was a priest who was their priest from New Orleans. He was just passing through, and he wanted to check on them. All of a sudden, right in the middle of worship, he walks over to the other guitarist. And he says, the Lord would call you by name, Daryl. Nobody knew our names yet. We had not been officially introduced to anyone. We just began to worship together with our sisters in Christ. Daryl went straight over backwards, sitting in a chair. He, I mean, he literally, the whole chair, fell over backwards. And the guy wasn't touching him. The priest was not even touching him. Just said the Lord would call you by name, Daryl, and the whole chair went straight over backwards. And he prophesied over him, and then he began over us. And then the next day, Sister John Marie, Mother Superior, came to our little prayer group, and she said, she walked in, and again, it was just like Jesus walked into the room. And I opened up my eyes very tentatively, saw her sitting there. She was leaning over on her knees, looking at me with that motherly grin. And she said, it's wonderful you're here. I want to tell you about your life. And she poured out to me five years of what God had planned for my life. And it all came to pass. All I had was a word from God and a full tank of gas. All I had to do was ask. All I had to do was keep my ears and my heart and my mind open. I was not some greatly gifted 26-year-old at that point or any other point. I'm not a greatly gifted 69-year-old now. I'm just somebody who said, I want to walk on water. I want to walk on water. I want to be like that. I want to believe like that. I want to be bold like that. I want to be able to say, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I want to hear you say, come to me. And give me the grace and that boldness that assurance that if I jump out of this boat, I'll be standing on the substance of your word by your spirit and nothing will stop me from accomplishing your will. That's all I need. I'm accustomed to fighting, Lord. I'll fight whatever it takes. I just don't want to do it in the flesh anymore. I'm not afraid of a hard time. I'll do it. Later on, I wasn't despising being with people who didn't add one little iota to my life personally. But I knew that they had been changed by spending time with me. 
That's not because they were with me. It's because they were with the Holy Spirit. I was just the voice box. That's all. He puts it in your heart to step out in faith. He's the one that creates the faith and imparts that measure of faith to you and me. That's where it begins. He puts it in you. Ask me for this. Go ahead and dare to ask me for this. I want to show you what I can do. And it's in there. And you can't escape it. It's in there. I wish I could do that. Oh, Lord, I know there's more. Lord, I know that I'm called to be more. I know I'm called to do more. Not just busy work, but something of more substance than what I'm doing right now. Something of more substance than I am right now. I know there's more in me. To be. Because the doing comes out of the being. You're as gifted as anybody else as long as you're in the right place. He will gift you wonderfully to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. All we have to do is say, yes, but we have to hear, come. Like I did back at Beverly Hills Baptist Church, sitting in that pew, listening to that missionary tell those stories. Drawing me out, drawing me out, drawing me out. And finally, all I have to do is hear you say, come. Is this you? Kaboom. I got the answer. And as like I said, I've been all over the world now preaching his message and ministering to his people and people that weren't his yet. Or at least they didn't know they were. Could we stand together, please? Real briefly. Let's bow our heads. Seek the Lord for just a moment. Holy Spirit, I speak Jesus over us today. I just speak Jesus over us today. Jesus. Jesus, your will be done. We are your body. While we're here on the earth, that means that we are to function with you. We are to co-labor with you in your ongoing mission here in the earth. Every individual right now, we just need to say, what do you want from me, Lord? Don't run. Don't block your ears from what he might say, even if it's, especially if it's too big for you. You can't even imagine ever accomplishing anything like that. Just hear. Just be open enough to hear anything that's coming through. And then take it with you as you leave today. Take it with you. Don't leave it here in the altar. Take it with you as you leave today. And and ask him, 
Is that really you? Don't ask him how he would accomplish it. It's probably not for us to know yet. Just ask him how your next step will be toward that goal. I'll guarantee you your next step will be just a yes. Just a yes. Don't say yes too quickly because you want your yes to be still yes tomorrow. That's something I've learned in my lifetime with the Lord. I ask him for a little time, not months, not years. Just give me some time to pray about it until I have an assurance in me that when I say yes, I'll be able to stand in that yes till you come to get me again. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of us, Lord, today, because each one of us can be more than we are today. We can be more. We can manifest Christ more. That's what that is. We can manifest more of you by your Spirit. And if you've got something for us to do as a member of your body, Show us specifically what you'd have us to do individually because we're all different. We can't meet every need in this earth, not intended to. All we can really do is seek you, hear you, say yes, and move forward. And I'm asking you to do that today, Holy Spirit, in each one of us. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.